Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Of chapter number nine. We have waded through a chapter that some have completely bypassed. <laughs> and the Lord's allowed us to get through it and allowed us to see the truths in it for what they are. What a blessing. What a privilege that God's given us to be able to go through this chapter. We're going to be looking at down through verse number 29. Verse number 24 says this, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also of Osi, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah saith before, except the Lord of the Sabbath have left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us in this world without your word. Lord, we thank you that on a daily basis in any given time in our life, we can turn to your word and we can find the truths of your word, the promises of your word, the covenants of your word to be always, yea, concerning your people. Lord, we ask you tonight that as we look into scripture, Lord, may we see those things that you would have for us to see. Lord, may you do in each heart and reveal to each heart what each heart needs to see. And Lord, may you reveal to us together what the truths of this passage of Scripture mean and reveal about you and your sovereignty. God, I pray that you would do in our lives what only you can do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. When studying this, the question kind of came up. Does the gospel, the good news that God saved you from sin and judgment by His great love and mercy, cause your heart to rejoice and your soul to be flooded with gratitude? Is that something that happens on a continual basis 
in our life? Does the fact that you could have been a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction, but instead God made you and made me a vessel of mercy which God prepared beforehand for glory, does it cause us to marvel at His grace? It should. If you and I grew up in a Christian home, and some did, some did not, uh, the testimony of my life is I did not grow up the, the largest portion of my life in a Christian home. Uh, though my dad, uh, according to his testimony, may have gotten saved at an early age, uh, got away from God, walked away from God, did not make things right until I was about 16, 17 years old. So I did not come up in a Christian home, but in light of that and in light of some that may have come up in a Christian home and maybe those of us that didn't come up in a Christian home, but maybe we've been saved for a long time. We face the danger if we're not careful that the gospel becomes commonplace. Uh, it becomes something that we just speak of that really doesn't grab our heart like it ought to grab our heart. One of the signs of us drifting and having complacency when it comes to the gospel, one of the signs of such complacency is grumbling about life trials. And I know that we've all been there. We may not be there now. We may not have been there in the recent past, but we've been there in our life where we can't, became complacent about the gospel. And when we became complacent about the gospel, we began to grumble and complain about the trials of life that God allows to happen. We forget what God has done in the gospel that is the greatest thing that ever happened to us in our life. Amen. That, that we forget. Uh, and if we're not careful, we allow those things to happen. Another sign that the gospel has become ho-hum in our life is that you've become focused or maybe we become focused on accumulating the world's stuff. And when I say you tonight, I'm not pointing fingers at any individual people. I'm saying that maybe it's that way in our lives. And uh, we need to guard against that. And that's what I'm getting at tonight is that we should guard against the gospel becoming placent uh, or complacent in our life. Another sign that the gospel has become a commonplace or we become complacent about the gospel is that we began to envy the wicked. Who was it? Asaph? that we find in, I think it was Psalm 78, where he began to look at the world and he began to look at what they had and he said, why do I have to deal with this? And they have everything. What reminded him? What was it that reminded him where he was and where they were? It's when he went into the house of God and not, not that he went to a physical place, but when he got around God again, he was reminded 
of what God had given him and he was reminded of what their end was. And when he reminded himself of that, then it caused something in his heart to be stirred over the gospel again. Same way in our life, same way that we, same thing we need to guard against is that we need to guard against looking around and saying, well, this person has it better and that person has it better and, and woe is me and everything's happening to me. And, and if we're not careful, we find ourselves getting there sometimes. Why can they have this and why can they have that? And, and they don't even claim to know God. And remind, we, that's the reason that we ought to remind ourselves of the gospel of the grace of God is so that we're reminded not only their end, but our end. You and I are going to get to spend eternity with God. Another sign that someone has become indifferent is that they are no longer sharing the gospel with themselves. And when they're not sharing the gospel with themselves, the common thing that happens is they do not share the gospel with anyone else. And those times of complacency, we don't need to allow ourselves to get into. Uh, there's some things, in fact, there's several places as we went down through those questions, several scriptures we could have brought up that we don't need to have that complacency. And one of the ways that we can keep ourselves from becoming complacent or allowing the gospel, a gospel to become commonplace in our life is to remind ourselves on a daily basis of what the gospel is. What is the gospel? The gospel is that you and I are a depraved creature. Uh, we're, we're, there was nothing good in us. And yet the grace of God appeared unto us. Not of our own doings, but the grace of God appeared unto us. And when the grace of God appeared unto us and God showed us mercy and we received that grace, you and I get to spend eternity with God in heaven. We get to spend eternity with Him. We do not have an adoptive father that is going to leave us out in the world and going to leave us all on our own. We have an adoptive father that cares for us and cares for us on a daily basis. The Bible tells us that he daily loadeth us with his benefits. Daily, God backs up a dunk truck in heaven and pours out his blessings and his benefits on his people. You say, I don't feel like the blessings of God on me. Look around and look deeply and you'll find out that the blessings of God are poured out upon you on a daily basis. You say, I'm going through difficult times. That may be the very blessings of God that God has you where he has you at the time he has you where he has you. And we need to understand that. In our text, Paul continues his response to the problem that he raised earlier on in this chapter. The question that Paul raised earlier on in this chapter was this. If 
God's promises to save his chosen people are good, then why are most of the Jews rejecting God? It is because of what we talked about this morning. It's not about the ethnic Israel as much as it is the spiritual Israel. It's about those who God has chosen to shed, be shed abroad in, in, in our hearts. We did not, we need to be reminded that we did not turn on the light switch of the God's grace in our heart. Uh, we came in tonight, we turned on the light switches, the light came in, the light was here. But you and I, when it, came, it comes to the grace of God, we did not, we didn't, we didn't not only flip the switch, we didn't even reach out to the switch to turn the switch on. God came looking for you. God came looking for me. He has shown us that God's word of promise has not failed because he never promised to save all of Israel. He promised to save a remnant. He promised to save a remnant. God has always accomplished his purpose. And we looked at that, that even some this morning. He's always accomplished his purpose. And he's always accomplished his purpose. If you look back in scripture, God's always accomplished his purpose through a remnant of people. Paul knew that his teaching about God's choosing some, but not choosing all, raised questions. So he answered those questions in chapter 9, verse 14 through 23, as he deals with the anticipated objections. And now we come to our text this evening, and we're going to look at several things in our text this afternoon as to salvation and it being God's great mercy in salvation. You and I would not be saved if it were not for the great mercy of God. We would not, you and I could not develop anything within ourselves that would have produced salvation for us. That salvation was produced by the great mercy of God. Salvation is from God's great mercy and His sovereign effectual call, not from anything that is within us. Paul says in verse number 23, if we were to look back in verse 23, he makes this statement, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. The amazing thing about your salvation and my salvation, when you look back and you think about when you got saved. You think about maybe the night or the day or maybe you think about the time. Maybe you do know the time that you got saved. Maybe you think about that time and you think about what happened during that time. The thing that we need to understand and the, the thing that we need to think about and remind ourselves about is that is not the moment God started working in order for you to be saved. 
God worked long before that in preparation of your heart to be prepared so that it would receive the seed of the grace of God. God's work was an effectual call and it was not anything within us that did anything to make a difference. In verse number 24, he adds this, even us whom he hath called. It is God that initiated the call. It is God and, and I know this is a crude example, but it is God who picked up the phone and dialed the number so that you would be saved. You were not looking for God, nor was I looking for God. It was God's great mercy in salvation that reached out to you and reached out to me so that we could be saved by the grace of God. Not only do we see that salvation is from God's great mercy and his sovereignty, but we see that salvation brings us into a personal relationship with the living God. You and I were not brought into a relationship with the things of this world. We were brought into a relationship with a living God. It amazes me, and this is the reason that I mentioned what I did in, in the introduction and asked the questions that I did in the introduction and talked about uh, the gospel becoming commonplace and us becoming complacent about the gospel is because we need to remind ourselves that this relationship that we have is not, it's not a flippant relationship. You and, I, you and I as the children of God have a relationship with a thrice holy God. We have a relationship. It's, it's almost, if you were to go somewhere, if any of us were to go anywhere in America, no matter who the person is, that is sitting in behind that desk up in Washington, no matter who it is, if you were to tell someone that I have a relationship, a personal relationship with the President of the United States, somebody would want more intimate knowledge about what you know. They would want to know, how do you know him? How is he? What kind of person is he? What's his personality? How tall is he? What did he look like when you saw him in person? Did you get to shake his hand? They would ask you all kinds of questions. And yet we become complacent when you and I have a relationship with a living God. Far, far surpassing any precedent. Far surpassing any king, any queen. Far surpassing anything. I have a relationship with God. <laughs> Brother Ricky, my relationship is with the creator of the universe. Why would I not get excited about that? Why, if I'm allowing the gospel to become 
to become real in my life and I'm reminding myself on a daily basis of the gospel, why would I not be excited about the fact that the relationship I have is with a thrice holy God? And in doing so, why would I not tell somebody else? You know who I know? I don't only I don't only know him. He's my father. Yes. Amen. I don't I don't just know of him. He adopted me. I became his own. And therefore I ought to Remind myself of that on a daily basis. Remind myself so that I'm not only reminding myself, but I'm reminding others that I have a relationship with God. I think sometimes we, we have our Bibles, we carry it around, we know that what is in the Word of God is true. We know that. We know it in our heart. We know that's true. We know that we have a relationship with God. We know we're saved. We know we're not going to hell. We know we're going to heaven. We know we're going to spend eternity with God. But we forget how real this thing really is. And we become complacent about the gospel. Salvation in in verse number 25 and verse number 26. Let's read that. As he saith unto Osi, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. Do you see that? God said, I'm going to call a people which were, which were not my people, I'm going to call them my people. I'm going to call her which was not beloved I'm going to call her beloved why? because of the grace and mercy that God extended look at what he says in verse number 26 and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them ye are not my people there shall they be called the children what of the living God there was a time when you were not God's people but now you are That is in our economy. But can I tell you something? In the economy of God, you always have been His people. What a blessing. What a truth. What a, what a, what a, what a, what a, thing to get loose in our minds and, and, and for us to contemplate and us for us to, to think upon on a daily basis that we are God's people. Brother Charles said something after service this morning when we were talking about ethnic Israel and, and spiritual Israel. And he mentioned that someone he knew had made a trip to Israel. And while they were in Israel and they were making the tours of going around all the places that you would go in Israel, 
What they recalled was that the Jewish people there in Jerusalem were a very arrogant people. Because they think themselves to be something because they are looking at the promises of God ethnically. They're not looking at the promises of God and understanding that the promise, they're, they're still hoping for the promises to come to pass ethnically. It, but if they could realize that they've already happened spiritually and they would be enlightened to get saved by the grace of God, then they would have something in, inside of them that they could rejoice in, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart. And if they were rejoicing in that, they would not be arrogant about who they are, but they would be humbled by who He is. And that's the way it should be in our life. Behind this text, in verse number 25 and 26, behind this text, no doubt, there's the probability that what Paul's thinking about when he's writing this text is possibly thinking about Hosea. Thinking about the story of Hosea. What did God tell Hosea to do? He said, take you a wife of whoredoms. He basically told Hosea to go get you a wife that is a prostitute. She has three children. The first child that she has, God has him name something specific, has him name him Jezreel and saying that this is God's. There was a surety when they had their first child that that child belonged to Hosea. When they had their second child, there was a question as to whether or not that child belonged to Hosea. When they had the third child, there was no question in Hosea's mind that was not his child. And she goes off in that lifestyle, that character of lifestyle that she came from. And you and I know the story of Hosea. What a beautiful picture. Did not God create man in the garden? He was God's. And man fell into sin. And man took the whole, the whole mankind into sin with him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus went to the cross and paid the ransom price in order to purchase what God had given him in his people. The, the story of Hosea is not for you to walk away and say what a wonderful love story. What a wonderful Hosea. What a wonderful Gomer. The, the story of Hosea is so that you and I walk away and say what a God Amen. who would pay the ultimate price on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be saved by the grace of God because we were out in the world. We were that, we were, we were of the whoredoms of this world and Jesus went to the cross and he paid everything. He took all of the wrath of God so that you and I had to take none of the wrath of God. 
He took all of the wrath of God, so there was no wrath of God remaining on us. And Paul's telling us again, as he goes down through this passage of Scripture, he's telling us, and he's reminding us, that relationships take time. Let me ask you this question practically. Uh, something practical we can grab hold of from this passage of Scripture. Are you and I taking time to maintain a deepened life with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we having that time where we, we recall what God has done for us? We remind ourselves of what God's done for us and the way that we remind ourselves is to continually read the love story that He left behind for us to have. Reading His gospel. His story from cover to cover. I'm not talking about you finding the gospel in two or three uh, verses of Scripture, in two or three passages of Scripture. I'm talking about your eyes being open so that you see the gospel wherever you read the Word of God. Where you see the love that God displayed in order to extend salvation to you and I. Not only that, but salvation extends to people from every type of background. It extends to everybody. What a blessing. God was not picky. Ethnically, God was not picky about those He chose. It didn't matter what their tribe, their race, their, their creed, their color, that didn't matter. What mattered is we were His people and He came to save us. In verse number 24, if we look back up into verse number 24, the Bible said, even us who He hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of what? The Gentiles. What did the Jews refer to us as? Gentile dogs. We were worse than the worst and, and, and had nothing to offer. And yet God reached out. God let us. <laughs> God let us be part of the spiritual Israel. Now do you understand why the Jews don't like it? <laughs> they, they like the fact that they had God all to themselves. God said, no you don't. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to accept them from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. We read that verse of Scripture this morning where around the throne there's going to be every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. Amen. And they're crying out, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Salvation extends to every type of background. Not just to the Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. As we consider this, understand a pagan background does not exclude you from God's mercy. What a blessing. Even a pagan background, even the background of the Gentiles, that pagan idol worshiping did not exclude us from the mercies of God's grace. Not only does a pagan background not 
exclude us, a religious background does not automatically include us. And that's something we've got to understand. The most pagan background there is will not exclude you from the mercy of God. And the most religious background somebody can have does not necessarily include you in the mercies of God. Why? Because it is God's choosing, not ours. We cannot work it. It is, it is to the glory of God. Not only that, but understand this evening, salvation delivers us from God's inescapable judgment. There is but one way that you and I can escape the judgment of God. That is through the mercy of God. When, when I finally realized, when I finally realized there is only one place there's only one time and one place in the history of the entire world from beginning until its end. One time, one place that grace and mercy met and joined hands. And it was on the cross when Jesus died because it was God Himself taken his own wrath. He was, he was taking the punishment, the justice of our sin. He was taking the justice of our sin and extending his mercy to us. There's no other place, no other place that justice and mercy join hands but on the cross. When Jesus gave his life for you and I. Understand that that judgment that you and I were under was inescapable. Except for God's mercy. Understand also that salvation brings us to the racially diverse spiritual family. It allows us to be part of a family that is not all the same race. It is a diverse race. There's diversity. He said in verse number 24 that God was calling Himself a people. Not among the Jews only, but also among the Gentiles. God was extending Himself. There will be no racism in heaven. And to be honest with you, there, there needs not be racism among God's people. There's absolutely no place for racism in a church, in God's church. There was a pastor, and I, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. There was a pastor that was dealing with this very same thing. And he said that a church should be as diverse as the community that it's in. His church was actually in Flagstaff. And he did some, he said, did some, what is it, demographics 
that he was looking at trying to find out how many of this and how many of that and what the percentages were in Flagstaff. And he found out that in Flagstaff there was 70% white, 16% Hispanic, 10% native and 2% black and 1% Asian. He said his church was running about 400. So he began to look at his church and he reflected upon the fact that his church should have approximately 280 whites, 64 Hispanics, 40 natives, 7 blacks, and 5 Asians. And he said when he looked at his church, he was pleased and felt like God was pleased. They didn't have those exact, exact numbers, but they were that diverse. What are you saying? I'm saying the family we're in is a diverse family. We don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. We don't all eat the same. We don't all live the same. But one thing is common among us. We have the same father. Amen. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting hold of this or not. But the fact that my father does not wage somebody off because of what they look like. My father does not turn somebody aside because of the way they act or, or how they think or how they grew up. But he reaches out to them in mercy and extends salvation to them no matter what their diversity is. God reaches out to them. What a blessing. What a blessing to know that we serve that kind of God. And honestly, I, I, I've worked, I, in fact, I worked with a guy, I guess, several years ago. And he was, he was a black guy. And, and his thing was that he had the mentality that he was under oppression because of he was who he was. And I, I tried to tell him that's not the way that Christians see things. People aren't different. In fact, I like what Vody Balcom said. He said that, that there's, I think it's melatonin or something that's in our bodies that some have darker because of the tonin or melatonin or whatever it is that's in our bodies that produces the pigmentation of our skin. And when he made that statement, he said, he said, and I don't want you to ever get jealous that God loved me more because he gave me more of it than he gave you. What are you saying? I'm saying that God loves diversity. God loves people because they are people. And God loves his people. And God died for his people. And we need to remind ourselves of that gospel on a daily basis. We need to be reminded of the fact that the gospel is to every man. The gospel is to every person. The gospel is whosoever will. Amen. And I've already mentioned as we dealt with that even last week, the thing that we need to understand about whosoever will is whosoever will, will. 
And whosoever won't, won't. And that's not, that, that's not us. That's God. And who are we to question God in His thinking, in His actions? We need to remind ourselves. It brings us back to that question that I asked in the opening of this message. Does the gospel or the good news that God saved you from sin and judgment by His great love and mercy cause your heart to rejoice and your soul to be flooded with gratitude? It should. It should always thrill our hearts. It should always cause us to have gratitude toward what God has done for us. When we find ourselves getting in the place to where we're not reminded of the gospel, maybe we can remember what the old Puritan preacher Thomas Goodwin said. He was in the era of about 1600, 1800. I'm not sure exactly where he lay in that. But he made this statement when he was writing a letter to his son. This father was writing to his son, and this is what he said. When I was threatened to become cold in my ministry, and when I felt Sabbath morning coming and my heart not filled with amazement at the grace of God. Or when I was making ready to dispense the Lord's Supper, do you know what I used to do? I used to take a turn up and down among the sins of my past life. And I always came down again with a broken and a contrite heart ready to preach. As it was preached in the beginning, the forgiveness of sins, I do not think I ever went up to the pulpit stairs that I did not stop for a moment at the foot of it and take a turn up and down among the sins of my past life. I do not think that I ever planned a sermon that I did not take a turn around the study table and look back at the sins of my youth and all my life up and down to this present time. And many a Sabbath morning when my soul had been cold and dry for the lack of prayer during the week, a turn up and down in my past life before I went into the pulpit always broke my hard heart and made me close with the gospel for my own soul before I began to preach. What a statement. What, what, what advice to write to your children. What that preacher was saying is I reminded myself of the gospel. On a daily basis, before I ever sat down to study, to prepare for a message, I reminded myself of where I came from. I reminded myself of the grace of God. I reminded myself of what I had in salvation. And before long, I was ready to tell others about what had happened to me. I said it already. You and I have a Father 
that is the creator of this universe. I, I, love, my, I love my earthly dead. I love what he taught me. I love what he instilled in me. I love those things that he gave me as far as the character that I am in my life. But Brother Ricky, my heavenly father, I know this is a phrase that's been coined, but he's an awesome God. He's an amazing God. And if I remind myself of that, Brother Charles, why would I not want to tell others that I know Him? Not only that I know Him, but that He knows me. What a blessing. What a Father. What mercy in salvation that we see in Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we want to praise your sweet and holy name tonight for salvation. Father, I want to praise you that you adopted me into the family of God. Lord, I've been placed in something that there is no one 